Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. In 1997, there was a tragic accident in the deserts of Arizona. An Air Force combat pilot, Captain Amy, uh, I want to miss, don't miss her last name, Svoboda, Amy Svoboda, was flying combat drills late at night, low to the ground at high speeds, more than 400 miles an hour in her jet. She was running these drills through the thickness of night, down at a very, very low altitude. And, and because of what was said to be situational, a loss of situational awareness, a kind of confusion of her orientation, a confusion of the trust that she had in the measurements, the panel in her cockpit. She, she didn't know that she was flying upside down. So in the middle of the drill, there's one moment when she's to take the throttle and throttle in such a way as to, as to rocket through the sky. And as she did, she, unaware that she was flying upside down, pulled the throttle and crashed, nosedive into the earth. It is possible. I mean, it really is possible for any one of us to fly through life in every kind of pursuit and be so shaped by the influences and the standards and the values of our culture around us, so shaped by the world outside of our faith, that we can fly our whole lives at high speed, trying to climb and contend and soar and never know that we're, we're actually flying upside down. It reminds me of the words of an old song by Truth. What if, what if we fall into a bottom of a well, thinking we've risen to the top of a mountain? What if we're knocking at the gates of hell thinking we're heaven-bound? What, what if we spend our lives thinking of ourselves when we should have been thinking of each other? What if we reach up to touch the ground and find we're living life up, upside down? See, that is what this series is all about. The series that we're calling The Cruciform Way. Last week I began to talk to you about the cross of Jesus Christ based on a deep abiding conviction that the cross of Jesus Christ, that event that happened where Christ was crucified, provided forgiveness of all sin for all time, for all people. But we tend to sometimes think of the cross of Jesus as simply our access point to heaven when we die. And the abiding, undergirding kind of principle for this sermon series 
is that more than just an assurance of eternal life after death, the cross of Jesus is a clarion call to a way of life before death. See, cruciform is a word that means cross-shaped, and every follower of Jesus is called, mandated, commanded to live a cross-shaped life, a life that is cross-focused, cross-centered, and cross-shaped in every decision that we make. Jesus put it this way, if any would become my disciples, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The cruciform way is a way that's characterized by emptying out your life rather than filling it up. It's characterized by finding your life by, ironically, giving it away. The cross-shaped life is about humility and the crucifixion of our egos. It's about learning how to express faith through suffering love, where we empty out our lives for one another. And and if you live that way, if I order my life in such a way as to look cross-shaped in the way that I interact with human beings, you know what it's going to make me look like? It's going to make me look like a fool. It's going to make me look foolish because that kind of way of life is an upside-down kind of way of life in a world that has convinced us that down is up and, and in is out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 18, we hear these words. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So last week I ended the sermon by sharing an image with you. I want to start today where we ended last week. About the year 200, a writing was etched on the wall of a guard room on Palatine Hill near the Circus Maximus in Rome. It was discovered in about 1857 or 58, and it's called the Alexaminus Graffito, the wall scratching. And it depicts, as you can see here, a crucifixion. It's one of the earliest crucifixions or crucifixes that we know exist in art. And it depicts a young boy, presumably in worship at the foot of the cross, and the most disturbing part of the whole scene is that Christ is displayed, crucified, with the head of an ass. And the inscription reads, Alexaminus Sabete Theon. Alexaminus, this young boy, worships his God. From the earliest day, the followers of the way were thought to be fools. And today, I want us to dig deeper into that calling to cruciform foolishness by inviting you to become part of the company of fools. The company of fools. So, in Paul's day, he was convinced of one thing. He was convinced that there is a way that seems wise to human beings. But that kind of wisdom is considered foolishness to God. And on the flip side of that, there is a way that seems foolish to human eyes. But once you live it, it is the wisdom of God. And nowhere was that more true than in the ancient city of Corinth. In Corinth, wisdom 
and philosophy was elevated at such a high premium, it was everything. Corinth was the city of philosophers. And they elevated the, the mastery of words, the, the execution of elocution, rhetoric, somehow elevating speech and reason to a standard that demonstrates your dominance over another person. And so in the midst of that kind of society that elevates wisdom in that way, undergirding that thought of wisdom is that everything that matters is building your own life. So wisdom in ancient Corinth simply meant this. I'm going to get me and I'm going to get mine. I'm going to take care of me and I'm going to take care of mine. And in the streets of Corinth, public boasting... And, and ego was on such display that it has been said that it was kind of an art form to brag about yourself, to make you the main attraction. And because of that, because it was kind of a competitive, cutthroat kind of society, deep divisions were in the city. They were divided politically and theologically. They were divided religiously, ethnically. They were divided economically. And Paul was disturbed because Paul began to see that some of those divisions that were in the city were beginning to get into the bloodstream of the Christians in that city. And he was seeing them being divided from one another as well. He said there, in chapter 3, if we were to read later on, he says, there, there are divisions among you, and those divisions are no different than any division we see out in the streets. Remember, some of you say, hey, I follow Apollos because I, I, I dig the way he preaches. I like Apollos' style. I mean, he's kind of open-minded. He's kind of liberal with his interpretation of scriptures, and I kind of need that. So I follow Apollos. And over here, uh, we don't. We follow Peter. So Peter, Cephas, is more conservative. He's kind of uh, adherence to the traditions of the law. And so we're more conservative, so we get behind Cephas. Oh, not us. We're behind Paul because Paul's kind of in the middle. He's a moderate. He doesn't really give to extreme stances. And so Paul says, in the midst of the church, you're lining up behind these personalities as if these personalities mattered at all. He says, but you've emptied the, the cross of its power. I mean, Paul, Cephas, Peter, we plant, we water, but it's God who's doing something here. And true wisdom is about seeking what God is up to. So I just want to say something to our graduates for just a minute because we do to you what was common in Corinth. Because today we say that America is like a modern day Corinth, or Corinth is an ancient version of ourselves. Because we teach our young from the time that they know how to buckle their shoes, we teach them that here's what you do to survive. This is wisdom. You climb, you contend, you compete, you win, you compare yourself, you come out on top, you make sure that you win at all costs. And so we tell you things like, well, you got to study. You got to study. Why do you got to study? So you can make good what? So, grades. Well, I got to study. I got to study to make good grades so that I graduate from, from high school and get into a good yeah, and I'm going to go to college, I'm going to major in this thing, and I'm studying, I'm going to work really hard so I can graduate and get a diploma. <laughs> one, of, one of them is like, so I can graduate and move back in with me, you know. No, you graduate to get a, a diploma, and you get a diploma to build a resume so you can get a good, and you want a good job so you can make lots of, and you want to make lots of money so you can buy lots of stuff, and then... 
all the world stands back and says, look what she did with her life. Man, look. She got all this stuff. She got these degrees, this education. Man, she is something. And yet, along the way, if we stay asleep, Stay as, if we stay asleep to our primary call, we can pursue all those things and be flying upside down to get there. And the moment we try to climb higher, we crash. We ask, why? What happened? And Paul is saying, foolishness happened. There's a better way. The cruciform way of wisdom doesn't look like the world's way of wisdom. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. I just love this. He says, yet among the mature, we, we do speak wisdom. It's not like we're against wisdom. We do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, upside down, you might say, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understand this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. It is possible, Paul might say right here in the midst of this verse, it's possible for us to, to search the depths of wisdom in this world. But if you search for the depths of wisdom in this world, you will always come up disappointed. But we have the freedom to search the depths of God, a cruciform way. Verse 11, for what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? In other words, Nobody knows what's inside your head except the spirit that's in you. Nobody knows what you're thinking right now unless you tell them. It's the spirit in you who knows you. And in the same way, he says, so also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. And now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us in God or by God. And we, we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of the God's spirit for they are, they're foolishness to them. And they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and, and, those, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then the best line of all. But we have the mind of Christ. And what is he saying here? He's saying that there is a way in Corinth, and there is a way right here where we live. To define wisdom the way the culture all around us, all around us defines wisdom. That it's wise to go and achieve and climb and gain and gather and accumulate and become something bragworthy. That's wisdom according to human wisdom. But Paul is saying there's a better way. There's a cruciform way. There is a way to get outside of your mind and allow the mind of Christ to shape your pursuits. To live a cross-shaped 
life. But when you do, you are going to look like a fool. Because the cross-shaped life is upside down according to the standards of this world. See, the cross-shaped life empties rather than takes. It bends and serves rather than dominates and controls. And sometimes you'll be put in positions where your ego can be stroked and you can inflate your own sense of self and the world around you can bow down and worship you or you can crucify the self and recognize I have been given one precious life to hand back to the one who gave it to me. And let's see what he might do with that. So if you choose the cruciform way to walk in the shape of the cross, just know you'll be considered in the company of fools. So I thought I might tell you about one or two people who are in that company today. In the company of fools is Stephen Humberg. Stephen Humberg was a friend of mine. We lived in Gaithersburg, Maryland. I was a youth pastor. And Steve Humberg was an emergency room doctor, an ER doc. But you know what else he did <laughs> on the side? He was a doctor for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. This man attended to the medical needs of some of the most powerful men in the world at the time. His capacity, his skill, his ability was through the roof. And he was one of my chaperones on a youth trip we took to Texas. We're in Houston, Texas, and one of our students gets sick, and we don't know what's going on with her, so we need to take her to the emergency room. And so Stephen went with me. Steve Humberg and I went and took her to the doctor. And we're there in the emergency room, you know, exam room, where we're waiting on the doctor to be seen. And not one time, not one time did he give his resume. Not one time did he tell who he serves and where he works and what his job is and what he can do. Instead, you know what he did during that time? <laughs> He'd open up the cabinet and play with all the stuff. I mean, he made like balloon animals out of the rubber gloves. He put like the thing on his head like Howie Mandel used to and blow it up, you know. He took tongue dispensers and was doing tricks with them. He took the gauze and made like a mummy face while we are waiting on the, on the doctor to come in. He was like Patch Adams. Remember the true story of Patch Adams? He's like this goofy, foolish-looking character. And then the nurse would come in and say, Sir, could you please not play with the stuff? And he said, Oh, sorry, yeah, no problem. And still didn't say who he was or what he did. And then the doctor, who was about 12 years old, came in. Yeah, and the doctor said, uh, so young lady, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we think's happening, and so we're going to give you this medicine. He named the medicine by name, and Doc Humberg said, uh, hey, just a dumb question here, but um, so I think you're on, what kind of medicine you're on? You got this other medicine, I think. What's the name of it? It's a hard word, but yeah, that. Will that medicine have any adverse effect on this medicine? And then the doctor said, yeah, so... Yeah, probably not a good idea. So, and he changed his, his, his prescription. And as he's doing, he's making small talk. And he says, so you, do, you, do you know medicine? And he gave the perfect answer. He goes, bah, little. That was it. And I think about that moment because in the complete crucifixion of the ego, he knew what was needed and he knew how to serve the moment. He knew how to humble himself and live cross-shaped. And who would do that but a fool? Who would, would want to come in and not brandish the resume and say, uh, kid, you got some things to learn. Let me show you how to do this thing. But instead, 
the cruciform life, the cruciform wisdom is the way of yieldedness, where true strength is found in weakness. He's in the company of fools alongside a woman named Kathleen. Kathleen is a public health nurse in New Jersey. And she wanted to get into this housing development that was run down. I mean, it was just dilapidated. And she knew that the residents in this housing development had no insurance. They had no access to real, reliable medical care. They couldn't afford it. So she wanted to go in and do some health screenings for them. But the, the landlord, in this case kind of the slum lord, wouldn't allow her in because he knew that if she went in and saw the conditions, she would report it out and they'd get shut down. So you know what she did? She did the most foolish thing you could do. Someone of her education and her status and her ability, her capacity with patients and with medical care, she disguised herself as a chambermaid and got hired by the slumlord and spent eight hours a day changing dirty sheets, mopping floors, taking out trash, so that in between rooms, she would secretly have health screenings and secretly check blood pressures and secretly help organize medicines in their cases. And why would you do that? Why would you take on a hard, menial task of taking out other people's trash and other people's dirty linens unless you were a fool for Christ? Because the way that seems up is really down, and the way that's down really is up. Christ calls us to cruciform wisdom. To be in the company of fools alongside Henry Nouwen. You've heard me talk about Henry Nouwen here. I mean, he was on the faculty at Harvard Divinity School, Yale Divinity School. He, as a pastoral theologian and writer, and author, professor, pastor, has contributed more to spiritual growth and development in the Christian church than many I could name today. Completely influential in, in my own personal life, his readings, his writings. One day he went to a place called Lark Daybreak. It's, a, it's kind of a group home. He's going to do a little retreat there. And he noticed what they were doing. Lark Daybreak is a group home of severely mentally and physically challenged individuals. These are people who, they can't change their clothes, they can't feed themselves, they can't write their own names, they can hardly do anything, they can't clean themselves. And he was so moved by the expressions of suffering love that were offered there to these, patients, to these residents in that facility. Ultimately, after several visits, you know what he did? He left his teaching post at Yale Divinity School and moved in to Lark Daybreak, and day and night help change clothes and feed residents and help the documentation for all their care. And all of his colleagues thought he was mad, thought he was a fool for handing that back over and, and, and relinquishing such a prestigious post. And you know why? Because he was. He was a fool for Christ. And in all of these passages where Paul talks about, hey, the message of the cross is foolishness. Nobody's going to understand it. I mean, if you really live that kind of humble way, following me, bearing up your own cross, nobody's going to understand it. You're going to be a fool. The word fool through these passages is a word in the Greek, Maria, right? Maria is where we get the word moronic. It means moron. Paul 
is literally saying there is a way to order your life in such a way that it looks wise to the world. But if you choose the cruciform way, where you empty out and lay down your life and lift up the lowly and sacrifice your own ego, you will look like a moron. So I say to you, be a moron for Jesus. Be a moron, graduates, be a moron for Jesus. Because the wisdom of the world will say the goal is to build your life, make it look glossy, make it look perfect, make it look so attractive that everybody wants to be you. But the cruciform wisdom is the wisdom that says, my life does not belong to me, but I belong to the one who laid down his life to purchase me. See, human wisdom says, hey, if somebody harms you, get them back, pay back. I mean, vengeance, the Bible says it, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the wisdom of the world. But the cruciform way says, if someone injures you and strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other. The cruciform wisdom is the wisdom that says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Cruciform wisdom is in contrast to worldly wisdom, because worldly wisdom says, you know what? Hey, harm me once, shame on you. Harm me twice, well, shame on me. I'm going to keep my guard up. You're not going to get in. I'm going to keep you at a distance and everyone else who is a threat to me at a distance, and I'm going to build me and mine. But cruciform wisdom says, don't repay evil for evil, but learn to overcome evil by doing good. The wisdom of the world would say to a group of graduates, hey, graduates living in the most powerful, wealthy country in the history of humankind, here's what you need to do. Chase after all these things and build up a life that others will be impressed by. But the cruciform way says, I am cruciformed. I am cru crucified. I have my own cross. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I, I no longer live. But it's Christ who lives in me. And now the life that I live in the flesh, I live according to the Son of God who loved me and who gave his life for me. So if you live this way, you join the company of fools to be a moron for Jesus. Maybe you're hearing these things and, and you, you want to be a part of something I'm describing. You want to be a part of something that actually gives freedom and sustains life and allows you to taste and see that the Lord is good. But you also hear the other thing I'm saying, which is it means it requires something of you. The very first thing it requires is this, yieldedness. And if you're listening to me today, either in the sanctuary, a family life center, or at home, and, and you want to be a part of this way of life that that looks different and that has a different code a different way to operate and orient then it does begin with a simple prayer and if you can't find your words I just want you to borrow mine speak them even right here in this moment as you're in the company of Christ say I, God I don't know where to start because I know I have tried and started and failed a hundred times before and it seems like every pursuit, 
God is, is really a pursuit of you, but I get lost and I get distracted. And, and the, the very thing that I hunger for most is you, and yet I fill that hunger with so many other meals that don't leave me satisfied. And, and sometimes I feel like a fool. So help me to humble myself. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me when I have lived a life that you intended to be right side up, but I've lived it upside down. Transform my heart so that I might live the upside down in the way that you imagine it. If you take me, I'll follow. If you receive me, I'll come. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, if you prayed that kind of prayer, if, if you just yielded to that kind of moment, that interchange between you and the one who loves you and knows you, understand that God has heard you and accounts. And even this very moment, you, you may be wanting to take another step and have another conversation about what that implies about your next step in the journey. That's why at the end of worship, right up here at the front, you're going to have our pastors will be here. Annie will be here. David will be down here. In the Family Life Center, we'll have a pastor there as well. Adam will be there as well as Michael. And if you're at home and you want to talk more about this, we want to take you seriously. So email us at connect at jcbc.org so we can take this, this spiritual nudging, this tugging that you may feel in your heart and learn how to be morons together for Jesus. But for now... Now we come to the moment where we are intended to get up and scatter from this place, to go out into the world and live in such a way that it demonstrates we actually believe what we have affirmed in this place. So as you are able, would you stand to your feet and we'll prepare for our benediction. Wherever you may go, May now, in this moment, Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you in the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step forward at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Go in peace.